Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real-life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on today. My guest is Mr. Michael Gilman. Uh, based out of New England, they've got assets in Colorado, Vermont, New England, mostly multifamily, although they kind of dabble around with some different stuff. But interesting story, Michael was an attorney and worked uh, in investment banking, lending, and mergers and acquisitions. And then at some point along his journey, wanted to start building passive income and found real estate and specifically multifamily. So set out to build a company started out buying a 20 unit. So we talk about how he did that and how he handled the management of that. And eventually this journey led him to starting his own management company, much like uh, much like we did a number of years ago. Michael basically came to the conclusion that to execute some of these really heavy lift value add projects that he was going to need to own the management company. And so from a familiar story there, one that I can certainly relate to, but um, has kind of done it all at this point, you know, managing the equity and the capital raises and the deal sourcing, brought on a partner to manage the operations. That's kind of a team dynamic that we see work well a lot of times in multifamily or in real estate investing. So a lot of um, lessons learned uh, through throughout Michael's story. I think you're going to enjoy it. So we'll have a word from the sponsors and then get into the show. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. EJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Hey, Michael, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. How are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Just uh, another chilly day here in New England. <laughs> That's right. Where are you guys based? So I'm out in uh, kind of distant New York City suburbs, uh, northern Westchester, but I go back and forth uh, a lot between there. Our, our properties in New England, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, and then gotcha. out west uh, every quarter or so to, to Colorado. Is it all multifamily stuff or are you guys in different uh, asset classes in those markets? So we're, I'd say, 95% multifamily. There's some self-storage mixed in there that came with the multifamily. Um, there's some single families here and there. There's, uh, we we uh, did some light cabin development by some ski resorts. Okay. So we have some cool. short-term rentals. Um, but the majority, uh, by far and large, is uh you know, kind of um, multifamily, the targeting, the, the class C or class B, you know, value add uh, reposition strategy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, that's funny. You're saying it's cold. I, I think it's cold here in San Antonio. It's probably 49 degrees out there and I'm 
like freezing my tail off walking back from lunch, but uh, I'm sure it's a different <laughs> story in your neck. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, <laughs> it just got so bad this last weekend. It was, I don't know if you saw in the newspaper, there was historic uh, cold New England. I was actually up there at my uh, Vermont uh, house and it got to negative uh, 20. Uh, that's without the wind chill, just straight negative 20. And yeah. there's no way to keep the properties, you know, warm. We actually had, it was like a record amount of, there were so many pipe bursts and issues. We were just dealing with the insurance claims now, but that was, um, we'd never seen anything like it, you know, followed by, I think it was like a 50 degree swing. The next day went to positive um, mid thirties, high thirties. So everything kind of unfroze and popped. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that's the variable that we don't have to deal with too much down here. Well, I'll, I kind of want to back up a little bit and learn about your your journey to real estate. You know, if you didn't grow up doing this, um, what were you doing before, and what was that catalyst to push you know push you into real estate investments? Yeah, so I started my career uh, as an attorney. It was always kind of more business minded, uh, so went into the investment banking uh, in house side. Uh, uh, being on uh, its uh, trading desks as well as some of the lending and uh, M&A uh, businesses. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, that was kind of the, you know, parents were like, oh, you should have a career, you should be a doctor or an attorney. So it was kind of, you know, what, what I did. Um, so, but always, you know, I knew it's not what I wanted to do. And I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to have passive income. I wanted to have investments. <clears throat> you know, one thing that affected me deeply growing up, my parents had a lot invested uh, in the market. And I remember growing up in the dot-com uh, crash happened. They had, they had a lot in the technology stock. So just seeing how, you know, when you have all your, you know, your eggs in this, in the, in the equities basket, how quickly it could evaporate. And, you know, it comes back, but it, it, it's kind of, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling of, of just stuff evaporating. Um, and uh, certainly we, we've seen that a little bit recently with, with you know, the rate volatility. So anyway, it kind of always, um, you know, that experience, you know, always made me want to, you know, find something that was that was really safe, that didn't go up and down and that would just cash flow. Um, that's kind of how I started looking at uh real estate, multifamily real estate, and specifically around me, um, you know, I was in New York City. Certainly most of the stuff in the tri-state area just didn't pencil from my perspective. I mean, you had, you know, not much population gain, uh, in fact, negative in some cases and not much job growth, but yet the cap rates were, you know, as low as you'd see in these top growth uh, markets. So it, it just wasn't penciling and the landlord tenant laws are, are the worst. I mean, you guys are very fortunate there in Texas. Um, so it took me up to uh, New England where there was like 10 cappers with, with plenty of value add. So I just started buying, you know, what uh, stuff up there, just myself. Uh, and just with like the simple idea of, well, I just want to replace my salary um, and like forget if it goes up and down, but I just wanted like, you know, safe, uh, Stable income. So that was kind of uh, the the catalyst. And that's that's what I started doing. I like it. What was the first project that you bought? 
so the first project was a um you know other than you know my own residence was a a 20 unit you know at the you know i had done a lot of thinking and research and i I knew you needed you know you know multifamily and just scale the the whole concept made sense so i I, um kind of maxed out what what i could do personally on leverage you know most of it was levered actually um and um was able to get a nice uh you know 20 unit that was like a 10 capper with with value add um you know was that so 20 and it's kind of an interesting yep yeah yeah, so fixed bank debt and then uh always curious to hear kind of on the management side right because that's that's a an interesting size where you're not maybe having a full-time full-time person on staff how did you uh how did you handle management on that one especially your first your first go yeah so you know the market was was three hours away or four actually at the time um four plus. So certainly needed a uh, room management. So we, you know, we started managing it ourselves from the perspective of, all right, we're going to control, you know, who we hire and, you know, keep the, the books and kind of, kind of run the operation. So we found an on the ground, you know, manager um, that was a broker there in the market. And uh, that would, ha- that would pretty much just handle the, the key, you know, on the ground tasks, which are really lease ups. Um, and in this market at the time, and certainly for, you know, tenants we inherit uh, is is rent collection. Um, you know, everything else there, you, you, you know, you cover with vendors, third party contractors. So eventually we moved to, I mean, that's how we started. Eventually we moved to a model where we, um, we didn't, we, we really the most important person was, person I could take care of the property. So at that scale, it was really just like a GC slash repair guy that also could do the lease ups. Um, uh, Cause again, the hardest part of all of it, in my opinion, is, is ma- the maintenance and, and maintaining the building, you know, the, like the, really the physical operations of it, I think is, is the most challenging aspect personally. So that's, you know, we started with a key person there and kind of grew, grew around him. You know, around that. Yep. And you guys have you're you're in a number of different markets. You mentioned Colorado, Vermont, some New England stuff. Um how are you managing those operations across those multiple markets? And would you guys look anywhere the numbers made sense, or is there kind of some some strategy around market picking and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we started in New England, but uh, the, the, one of the issues there in, in at least New Hampshire and Vermont, the markets we look at, there, there's not, you can't get a big building. I mean, that 20 unit was maybe one, one of the largest buildings in, in the region, perhaps. Sure. Um, at least in that little, you know, areas, New Hampshire has some more, but anyway, it's, you, you just can't get the scale. So, I, I wanted to uh, pick a new market, so kind of did a lot of research, wanted a growth market, one that wasn't, didn't seem like cap rates were, were so low. Um, and then ultimately one that I liked and wanted, you know, I, I've, and would travel to and I'm always a big outdoor person. So, you know, skiing and whatnot. So that, that took me to Colorado. So when we kind of landed there, um, we started with a property management company because we didn't have operations. Um, but really quickly realized 
and especially knowing, you know, how to do it from having done it that, you know, we're going to have to control this ourselves. So again, we found the right GC, we partnered with them and we ended up um, just scaling there um, on, on the property management and construction side. Uh, and what kind of helped us scale more quickly was, was taking on third-party accounts. So uh, again, something I would have never envisioned in terms of, cause I, I never started out wanting to be in property management, but you know, what I discovered was it's in the hardest part of the business is, you know, I say property yes. management, but it's, it's, you know, re, for what we do, we're talking about repositions, right? This isn't class A, like pretty much, you know, a lot of the tenants we inherit are bad, just terrible management. And so it's, uh, everyone has to go, you know, units got to be renovated. There's schedules, there's timelines, you know, it's, it's a whole kind of operation, if you will. Um, but, and so the, it was just an extent, you know, if we wanted to do what the strategy we wanted to do, that that was the path forward. Um, and so that's kind of how that um, part of the business grew. And really, I think it was, again, the most challenging. Yeah, I, sure, I certainly hear that. We started a management company a number of years back, never wanted to do it, would publicly say I never wanted to do it. But then <laughs> at some point, you're kind of faced with the option of, gosh, you know, kind of almost have to, to really execute these business plans. I mean, it's one thing to learn this stuff and underwrite it and project things five, five years into the future, five years into the future. And it's quite another to deal with the real day-to-day -day stuff that comes up, uh, tenants and then projects too, you know, just managing complex construction projects where people are already living. It's kind of like you're working on the plane while it's flying. So um, yeah, we were in the same boat. And, and now I, I'm really glad that we have the company. I found some awesome um, team members and employees to, to, to execute that, but would never have dreamed <laughs> that, that I'd own a big management company. Um, do you guys third party uh, manage as well? We do a few, but it's only because it's maybe like deals that I'm a key uh, principal on, or it's friends of mine that own them. Um, we are actively, we're like not looking to grow that third party business at all. Cause it's a, uh, very low margin, very difficult business. And we don't want to be dealing with 10 different owner personalities. Um, yeah. We'd rather just manage our own stuff really well. And just, just for that, it's, it's a win, right? Just to be able to execute well on your own portfolio. It's a, it's a total win, but it's not like it's a huge um, margin business. And, you know, there's the argument, if you grow to 20,000 doors, you could sell at a pretty high multiple or whatever, that, that was never my strategy. It was just, hey, we need to manage our assets better. And the best way to do that is to own the whole thing from the maintenance guy to the CEO is just kind of one one uh, one set of, you know, one company, one decision maker, you know, type of type of deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's how we, you know, we've, you know, for, for us to really be able to do this nationally, it, it, you know, the big change I made is a kind of bona fide partnership with um, my partner, Phil, you know, who, who runs the day-to-day -day yep. of that kind of the way we structured it was I'm responsible for the kind of capital markets, the lending, the equity, uh, yep. deal sourcing for a large degree. I mean, certainly we're a brokerage out there, um, but just, uh, you know, getting the deal and overseeing at a high level. Yeah, hundred percent. So I, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, you mentioned that twenty unit was was your first deal, um, and that was kind of you 
just you and the and the bank, but what, how are you guys structuring your capital stack these days and and building building that up? Yes, sure. So um, you know, we we started uh, when I started pooling capital. It was uh, friends and family at first, obviously. Um, yep. That uh, you know that's something that was. I'd never done before. So, you know, even though I had all this real estate experience, it kind of was like at the end of the day, everyone was like, well, how much have you raised before? You know, what's your track record on syndicated deals? Well, I'm like, well, what about this track record? Um, it, it was like, you know, apples to oranges, almost like people just uh, certainly professional investors looked at it differently. So right. we, um, you know, uh, started with friends and family and then over time and certainly now, um, I'd say a predominant investor is more like the family office uh, fund type. And then we certainly have our uh, pool of individual investors that we kind of are in our network and we carry with us, you know, we, we have five, our our deals are 506 C, but we found like um, that it's, it's, you know, no one's going to invest in a deal, right. Cause they, you've advertised it. Um, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> our experience, right? It's sure. all interesting relationships and due diligence. And and personally, kind of my background um, as an attorney, uh, being on Wall Street, I kind of gravitated towards that professional investor. You know, when they do that due diligence and send those questionnaires and do the deep dive, I, it, you know, I, it was almost like second nature to me. And so we kind of gravitated towards that. Um, and yeah, that, that's been our predominant uh, equity source recently. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Um, we just did a 506 c fund, and it's nice to be able to talk about it and market it, but we don't expect to grab a bunch of equity off a LinkedIn post or something. It's definitely very much relationship-driven. Um, how has it been working with the family offices? Or, or is it larger checks and, and a long due diligence process? Is each one different? Um, we've never We've never done that historically. We're just kind of dealing with a giant amount of small check writers. Yeah, so it, it's um, you know, uh, some go as far as to look look at all your past deals, look at what you said you would do, look at your investment memo, and look at your your distributions along the way, and your quarterly sure. reports, and uh, kind of everything like that. And then certainly, so there's a lot of looking at your track record, what you're telling them your your track record is, and then certainly, you know, looking at all aspects of the current deal, at least when you're onboarding with them, right? Onboarding is the hard part because that that's the long part. Um, but once you're kind of onboarded, then it's the attention is just at the deal level and they kind of have their standard, you know, checklists, like, you know, um, and, and questions and investment committees. Um, so it's, it, it's more straightforward there. Uh, certainly I'd say onboarding is, um, is, is the most difficult part. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so if you've got multiple markets, you, you've got established investor base, you're kind of running the capital markets and acquisitions. We're talking in Q1 of 2023. It's been an interesting um, time in the debt market since the Fed started hiking pretty aggressively last year. What uh, what has that done for you guys? Are you guys on the sidelines for acquisitions? Are you still trying to structure deals creatively or what? what is the current state of, of acquisitions for your your multiple um, yeah we're very much buyers i mean uh yeah. you know I, i'd rather be buying on a cheaper you know on, on a lower basis yeah. uh, independent of you know financial conditions so to speak so we're 
we're very much uh, in an acquisition mode. Uh, we're hoping to see distress. Haven't, and I should never hope for it to, it's a horrible word to to say. Uh, I mean, we we anyway, we uh, haven't seen uh, a level of distress yet that I'm thinking should come. Just based on uh, you know what's happened. Certainly, anyone with bridge debt that that had a plan that did not execute on it is 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 in trouble. It seems like there's been a lot of rescue right. capital. So we're, you know, we're, we're making the right purchases. I mean, we, we've been uh, trying to digest this portfolio we've had in contract for a while that, that we're dribbling out to market uh, in, in three different tranches. Uh, it's about 500 units from one seller. It, it just took, a, uh, speaking of the financing markets, we were, we were under contract in September and then we were set to close in December. And as uh, we were set to close, the lender, our lender was a regional bank, tells us they've shut down lending for, for the year and into the foreseeable future in, in the multifamily bucket, they're full. Sorry. Sorry for the bad news. So we were in a really bad spot because it's, it's the end of the year. Everyone's jammed. Sure. And um, we're not, you know, the, the quick moving lenders are the debt funds, but one one um business model or one shift we've made is we're we're not taking like that debt has just become uh, too expensive right it is priced as so right. first for plus 400 so over plus 450 the 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 bank debt has just become so much more attractive um and so and they're just much slower right and um so we kind of had to regroup go out to financing again uh and then unfortunately we didn't find a bank that would take the full portfolio at once so we had to uh break it up into three uh three tranches because it was like um, i think close to a 40 million dollar loan um and just the banks don't you know they're very much relationship based so right. it, it's just tough to get someone with a new sponsor uh on that side so you know we've we finally kind of that's that settled and we've been able to move that along but that was just really challenging um in that you know when lenders were just dropping like flies uh at, at the end of you know during that tough period in the fall and into uh winter in 20 you know just just in a few months ago yeah that it uh it's been very been kind of a wild ride the last you know i guess we're coming up on three years here since covid hit kind of march 2020 um a ton of volatility in the debt markets then it seemed kind of short-lived because there was so much liquidity injected immediately around that time that it but that that created this whiplash and then the and then the um hiking cycle that we've been in you know the last year obviously changes things too but um yeah you, you want to get those escrows short and get them done and and get closed we've had plenty of deals that we had to get creative on kind of midstream but um yeah as long as you can as long as you can close them yeah so you know speaking of creativity like this this uh you know Colorado Springs portfolio we were in contract when we went into contract, it was a totally different rate environment at the end of August. Right. Yep. But we were already getting them at like such a rock bottom price compared to the market because of just their state, just, you know, heavy mismanagement um, operationally. Um, structurally, they were good buildings. Uh, certainly, you know, we, we renovate the interiors and whatnot, but the main problem was just the current rent roll was like, you know, half of, you know, it was 50% under market, I would say. And wow. just mass delinquency, you know, kind of that kind of management. So anyway, the 
so we, you know, one thing is like when we had negotiated that price, the seller was so clear that there's no retrades and he doesn't care what happens because it's just like it was such a low price com compared to the market. So anyway, the, you know, rates rose and, you know, we figured, okay, well, asset values have gone down, say 20%. We still have a good price, but, you know, but hey, things changed. So we went back to the seller and we're like, look, like we, you, we, you got to make a concession here because this isn't the same you know, uh, debt model, we, we were underwriting when we went into contract. So we couldn't get the price lower, but we were able to get some really nice um, preferred equity terms for the oh, seller in the deal, like, um, yeah. you know, with a nice soft, uh, you know, real soft equity, which is there's no current pay. Um, that was kind of, you know, lower than we, much lower than we knew we could get in the market. So that's kind of how we made that deal work. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great uh that's a great option. And and, and um I don't know if we've done any seller carry stuff, but I remember we did a deal during COVID where if you recall, they're requiring like a year of debt service escrow. You know, it's like some of these deals they need a half a million bucks escrowed, um, which is kind of painful. And and there was one seller we um we we're like, we can't get to your number with this new, I was like a 400 k escrow. So he lent me the money at two percent. And for a year, just on a personal guarantee, yeah. just principle to principle, we stuck that in the bank and um, it worked out, you know, and that kind of creativity helped everybody get across the line. So that's, you know, that's good to see when you got sellers that'll cooperate to to get deals done. Um, and, you know, PREF at a better than market rate sure helps uh, kind of juice things for the, for the LPs. Was your, was your leverage from that first lean loan pretty low on that deal it's kind of what i'm seeing out yeah there. i mean low <laughs> i mean lows relative we used to do you know high 80 ltc loans bridge yeah. so yeah. <laughs> um that was a different world um so that this one at this yep. bank was at 70 percent ltc which we thought was oh, okay. good for the the deal and the rent roll and you know one of the buildings wasn't even occupied it was down uh you know uh it, it it was basically stripped and ready to uh to be finished um so there was one vacant building in there so it was it, it was not an easy uh financing situation yeah you guys are really seeking out these uh these distressed deals right i mean you're looking for like fire stuff are you looking for you know vacant like totally mismanaged 50 percent occupancy type stuff yeah i mean we like to do um like we're just a ton of upside, like, and so you'll only get that when yeah. there's hair usually. Right. And, and so we tend to get the, yeah, I mean, maybe one deal, we, we had one deal recently that was the management was good. Um, thankfully. And I was so thankful because it, it was so nice to be able to keep tenants. <laughs> um, and I, I certainly want to do more deals like that. I'm hoping to find, you know, softer pricing on, on stabilized deals. So, you know, we're, that, that's really what we're trying to actually do less heavy value add right now because it's, um, I'm, I'm hoping we, 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 we can find, uh, you know, softer pricing on the stuff that's not as big of a lift, but we'll see. Yeah. I think some of these bridge maturities come or the rate cap maturities, uh, depending yeah, on what rates do, really you know, that's that's gonna force some deals off a cliff at some point here. I, I'm not really seeing the distress at all um, yet, but the clock's ticking on a lot of this stuff for sure. 
here. So what do you guys see, you know, again, kind of talking in the early part of the year here for 2023, what do you, um, if things go way your way this year, what is, what does that mean for you guys? Is it, do you have targets or are you just kind of looking opportunistically at deals or, or what do you think for the year ahead? Yeah, we, we look at things opportunistically. I wouldn't say we have a set target, you know, personally, I'd like to expand markets. We, we, we're, we want to get into Utah. Um, okay. We want to kind of diversify our, you know, our risk there geographically and just do, you know, expand more uh, in New Hampshire as well. We, we, we don't have that many assets there, but it's, uh, we found it to be a very um, landlord friendly and just uh good uh good winds kind of uh good tailwinds uh for for good cap rates so <clears throat> yeah we're but uh first and foremost we just finished a big period of like consolidation and reorganizing because because we adjusted a lot of stuff and it's not easy like you you realize you're just not set up for to scale like when you start scaling and so that we we have to we it, it's been a tough like changeover just kind of reinvigorating the pipes we had to switch uh, property management systems uh, and that's tough and so we just wrapped that up and yeah really uh looking to grow and there's no set target just hoping we see deals yeah yeah that's right you got to be able to react quickly to that um well excellent well michael this has been this has been great i appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing your story um Definitely a lot of parallels to, to what I've done. And so I certainly understand all those pieces there. If somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are doing, how can they do that? Yeah, you could sign up to uh, our newsletter on our website, uh, crossmountaincapital.com. Uh, you could always reach out to me personally. I, I use LinkedIn, uh, uh, social media, and uh, <clears throat> my email uh, is also a great way, Mike, at crossmountaincapital.com. Awesome. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can kind of scroll down and click through to Cross Mountain Capital there. Uh, Michael, really appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on and wish you guys uh, success in the in the year ahead here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.